Welcome to McKinsey's Discussions in Digital podcast, our series that brings together different voices in the Valley to explore interesting issues emerging in the digital world while enjoying some good food. Today we're going to explore brand building in a digital era, an evergreen topic that has also been transformed in many ways by digital media and increasing personalization from brands. We're meeting today at Kakari Restaurant in San Francisco. I'm Diane Esber, a partner at McKinsey focused on marketing and sales, and I'm thrilled to be joined by David Yin, VP of Brand Strategy and Consumer Experience at Ancestry, and Rebecca Messina, former CMO at Uber and Beam Sundry, as well as Jane Wong, an associate partner in our San Francisco office. So welcome. Before we get started, I would love if you guys can share a bit of your background, in particular around brand building and digital companies. So Rebecca, I'll start with you. So I started my career uh, 26 years ago at certainly a company famous for brand building uh, called the Coca-Cola Company, and um, spent 22 years of my career there and was fortunate enough to be a part of the moments when we started to incorporate a really big, important perspective on digital. After 22 years, I went on uh, to be the global CMO at Beam Suntory, as you mentioned. And then I leapfrogged uh, three years later to become the global CMO at Uber, where they wouldn't talk about a digital journey. They were simply born this way. David, would love a little bit of your intro. I've come from a similar path in a different way, where I started my career in traditional packaged goods at Clorox and Avon, and then I went to companies like Eventbrite and Fitbit to really start to understand how do you grow brands from nothing uh, and how to establish a brand in someone's mind, uh, especially as categories are also brand new to people, things that they don't even have words for in some mm -hmm. cases. And then most recently, I've been at Ancestry, which is a really interesting mix of all of those experiences. But we thought we would just start with a little bit of a baseline about, you know, what's a brand? How do you define a brand? And when someone says the word brand, what do you think of? And I'd love in particular for some of the different companies that you've worked for, how you think about that. So Rebecca, I'll start with you sure. and how you define a brand. I don't think there's a right answer or a perfect answer, but I think at its core, and um, this might be a little soft for some folks, but I think brands are feelings. Um, they, they emote something that mm -hmm. causes us to have some kind of behavior, be it largely irrational to some degree, or we wouldn't be wearing Rolex, Rolexes and driving Porsches um, because we would, you know, we could buy cheaper versions of those. A definition we often used at Coke is like an intangible sum of everything that you stand for. I think um, Coke taught us, right, that you can be something intrinsic and something much more like an idea. And I think Coke certainly shows you that it can be a big idea on the back of something like, you know, a uh, largely a caffeinated uplift, if you would, and that's clearly what it was born as. But it can ladder to this beautiful idea of bringing the world together and um, equality and happiness and all of that. I think when you go to products like, and I say this, products like spirits, I think you can really have a relationship that's more product or even more brand driven. I think at their, at their core, Spirits is amazing because the navigational tool here is going to often be first maybe on some of these product intrinsics. What are you looking to drink today, right? And what do you, like, how do you like your whiskey and what are you looking for in its profile? But then ultimately, you're going to start to navigate by brands and the brands that make you feel something. I completely agree where brands are emotions. So the the thing that I also like to bring into it, especially when I'm working with teams who are very new to brand marketing as a concept, 
uh, is not just what is a brand, but what does it need to do? I think defining what it needs to do helps people to connect with it. Uh, at the highest level, I think of brands as uh, navigation tools. Mm -hmm. Like they're big wayfinding tools for people. And that in, in that way, there are two things they really need to do. One is that they need to be sticky and memorable, right? And that's where I think the emotional piece is playing a much bigger role in today's marketing. And the other piece is that they are fundamentally uh, an expectation of the quality of an experience, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's where as digital companies start to evolve, that expectation of that quality is really important to start paying attention to because how many company, companies have we experienced now where they were on this huge run-up of growth, but then you realize no one's coming back for more and they ran out of people. <laughs> and that is not brand building, right? So fundamentally closing that loop on what is the expectation of that quality experience and how do you keep reinforcing it? When you think about the entire consumer decision journey in terms of how they interact with the brand from you know what's the initial consideration set of brands they look at active evaluation right the actual purchase decision and yeah. then the loyalty loop and the experience of the product what role do brands play throughout that journey David, I'll start with you. Brands play a critical role throughout that whole journey. Uh, it's interesting. There are different models for what you've described. The thing that I always tell the team is that you have to think about your brand in, in three different contexts. One is what gets people's attention. The next is what drives their decision. And that can be very different than what gets their attention. And then what drives their retention, right? What keeps them coming back for more? Uh, and so brand plays a critical role across all of that. And then the, the other piece that you can cut it is that Brand plays a very different role for someone before they've experienced your product and after they've experienced it, right? So it's a different way to think about it. But like, for example, at Ancestry, the promise we can make uh, to a customer before they've experienced our product is actually a little closer in. It's they, the, what they believe that you can deliver is, um, is smaller than what we can actually deliver. And then once they've had a product experience, we're like, mind blown then the kind of brand experience you can have with someone or what you can promise them, communicate to them is so different that you can go to a very different and much more emotional place. So that's where brands have to flex a little bit, uh, depending on where someone is in their journey, because maybe upfront they won't believe that you can promise them something. But after you've over-delivered on that quality expectation, you play a very different role in someone's mind or life. I think David did a beautiful job of talking about the early part. So now take that same story and go to the end, or the, the latter years, which is, how that brand becomes how you break a tie. Because you've done what David just said over and over again, now I can shortcut. Now I know I've come to expect that from you. Now you're that promise for me. Now when you get it wrong, I still forgive you. you now you've built in this sort of sense of love, if you would, dare we say it, right? Where you can go, okay, now I, you know, I just trust them. I like them. I'm used to them. I forgive them. And, um, you know, brand, this idea of brand love can actually break a tie for you. You might even pay more for me. Heaven forbid. You might even pay more because I'm worth it to you. Um, and you just reduce that price sensitivity. And so that, that's, the, that's the holy grail, right? If you get to that, you've, you've really become a brand in their mind. That leveraging a brand as a relationship with consumers, I think, is one of the big pieces. So... Uh, you know, anytime you interact with the person, if you're just getting to know them, your permission and your willingness to forgive are very different than if you've had a long relationship with someone where you know that the, in the end they were going to do the right thing for you, you'll come back. How have consumer expectations of brands changed in the years that you've been working with brands? <laughs> um, thankfully, they're holding us more accountable than ever. And they can. They have the tools to do so. So... Um, 
Spend all the money you want, screaming all you want, saying anything you want. It will come down to what you do. I just think we're, we're being held to standards we deserve to be held to, right? That's a true promise, so we're keeping it across the whole thing. Um, and we can't hide behind just the words. A guy I worked with at once who said something so interesting to me, and I think it was so telling of where brands were. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said something that, um, he said, you know, sometimes marketing is a tax for being unremarkable. He told me that in the 90s, and it has just stuck with me. Today, all the marketing tax, a la money in the world, won't make up for an unremarkable product. You just, now you have to be what you say you are. You have to deliver that, and then um, that's what they'll come to expect from you every single time. And I, so I love being a marketer today because I love being held to those standards. So is the experience over-delivering based on what you might expect, in which case you might need to even shift more towards brand, or is brand slightly maybe... Mm-hmm overestimating what the product can actually do. I think our job is to ensure that um, the brand is as good as the product and the product is as good as the brand. So you would say in a case where the product wasn't there yet, get the brand right to match where you are and evolve over time. Yeah, I think there are two things that uh, are really important about that nowadays. One is that you can actually measure that effect in a lot of digital businesses now, mm-hmm. where you can see the quality of the audience that you bring in and whether anybody stays. You can bring in a whole bunch of people that seem like they were a good signal, but then they're all churning out. Mm-hmm. So we know when we put this message out there that we bring in a lot of people. But we also know that when we put this other message in, we bring in less people. But when you see who stays between those two messages, you'll get a very different response. And the organization will, in some regard, if you can show them the data, balance themselves. Yeah. And But you've also potentially brought to the product team something really important, where it's like, if we could say this and deliver on it, people will come. <laughs> and if we can say this and deliver upon it, they might even come back. Yes. I think that's your, your yeah, point and, that's sorry, very important. Back, yeah, for sure. Yeah. That is the biggest piece. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. Yeah. So what role have you seen the consumer actually play in shaping and defining a brand? So I think word of mouth is one of the most powerful places that brands are built and you have no control. Uh, Fitbit was such an amazing experience because it was a brand that was not built by an agency in a room that we've rolled out. It was something that consumers took on themselves and their love of it and then shared it with each other. Uh, And that democratization of the way the Fitbit brand was built became something that we needed to figure out. How do we intercept this, not control it? How do you find what's really meaningful to consumers as they're sharing it with one another and then internalize that and feed it back, right? As opposed to trying to really like own every single part of that communication and make it stand for just this one thing. Because there were multiple different communities of people that loved Fitbits. You had hardcore athletes. They were some of the original adopters. And then you have your moms who just want to walk a little more while their babies are sleeping. And those are such different communities, but a shared love of something, what they play back to you about what's important to it is different. And then how do you feed it back in the right places to those communities? I think. In the old world, we were producers inside a company, right? And now I think what you're seeing is some of the most successful brands of the last 20, 30 years are those where a lot of the value is created outside the company. So you guys get smarter with every single person that participates in your brand. I think 
Wikipedia is a great example of the more that we co-create it, the more beautiful it becomes. eBay, an external marketplace, that the more we feed it, the more we can keep going, right? So I think this idea of co-creation is really, I think, brands today are becoming centers of exchange versus centers of production. And the center of exchange is that we're facilitating the outside world to come together in ways that it never did. So co-creation is taking on this unbelievable meaning of like, wow, I am genuinely participating in this brand and making it better, but in turn, it's making me better. And I would love um, just some examples of whether it be a digital native or a more traditional brand that you think in this new era of brand building has done something particularly well. I think one of the companies that, you know, it's clearly been around a long time, but has stayed at the forefront of all this. I'm, I really respect what Starbucks has done with their apps and how they manage that customer relationship mm -hmm. and how it's evolved over time. They've tried a bunch of different things uh, and then it's really forced all their competition to adapt, mm -hmm. right? Now suddenly everyone can mobile order, even Phil's. I've just been really surprised and pleasantly so as a customer as well, the amount of thinking and experimentation and really adapting uh, that they've been doing. I think you're making a great point about Starbucks that I would say Delta and actually many of the airlines have. The way they have really understood that end-to-end -end experience and, and done a fabulous job of using the latest tools available to them and um, enhance greatly what their brand stands for, my relationship with it, how you interact with it, the feedback loop, mm -hmm. um, the personalization, really a very, very nice job. I'm most impressed, with, frankly, with the legacy companies that have pivoted than I am the ones that are born this way. Yeah. And that's why I bring up Starbucks, I feel like they've raised the bar yeah. as opposed to just adopting a technology, yes. right? And I think that's the difference that I always observe is who is really raising the bar. And they're such a great example. So I think digital has unlocked a lot of different ways, new ways to build brands. What do you think are some of the things that digital has unlocked that might be under leveraged or people aren't taking enough opportunity, I'm enough guess advantage? You're not going to say display. It gives us so much to work with that we aren't working with probably even a fraction of what we have at our fingertips because of the data available. In the 20th century, man was replaced by machine, right? I think in this century, our cognitive labor is gonna be replaced potentially, if we're not careful, by machine. I still don't know that we are um, leveraging our hearts and our empathy the way we should be um, because of this real-time short cycle of of digital. I think it is sometimes taking away our imagination and our creativity of playing a long game. Actually, I completely agree. And to build on the thing that I think we can still get from digital is we get a lot of numbers right now, but you get a lot more than numbers. And I don't think people are really opening themselves up to the things that aren't the numbers from mm -hmm. digital. Like, don't tell me how many likes I got read the comments, mm -hmm. right? And I think there's a lot of that that still goes on. We measure the quantity of something, not the quality mm -hmm. of something. And there are plenty of quality signals that come through digital that are vastly underutilized. What role does social impact play in a brand? Is it price of admission now? I think there are two different ways to come at social impact. One is, am I doing harm versus am I doing good? So. I think more and more consumers are expecting their brands to do no harm, right? If you are actively doing harm in some way, you're pretty heavily punished by consumers nowadays. Uh, and 
more and more companies need to be aware of that. And then in terms of actively doing good in, I think it's really tough where there are certain businesses where if that is core to your value proposition, yes, like it's price of entry. Uh, but at the same time, there are a certain percentage of consumers who that will not be their primary priority. There's always, what is the core value proposition? If you're in micro lending as a business, like, okay, you can't get away from it. But if you are a soda brand that is, you know, for every soda we sell, we, you know, we send a bottle of water to some other country. I think there's limited potential in that mm -hmm. compared to everyone needs to not be uh, polluting or damaging or something. I totally agree with David that, well, the idea of do no harm is price of entry, I think. I can't imagine the brand in today's context that's going to get away for very long with doing harm. Um, unless they're a category of harm, and that's all. You know, we could probably name a few of those. But I think the standards will be held differently for different companies. But I think that the scrutiny on that will, will vary. You know, if you're making chocolate and how you treat the farmers and that entire supply chain, I do think more and more we are going to hold, consumers are going to hold us and, and companies should hold ourselves accountable. And it's a way to differentiate yourself as well. If all things are equal, I'm going to go with the brand that's doing good versus the brand that's just not doing any harm. So I think it can be a differentiator. I would actually, though, argue that some of your brands like a Coke or any of these big brands that have an emotive place in the world and that... Um, I actually think they have a social responsibility um, because of their scale and their reach. What's the role of brand building in terms of attracting and retaining talent? And how does that affect how companies think about building brands? The attraction of talent will, to a large degree, define the brand that you become. And so I think it's huge. Um, and I think it's the value proposition of what they're coming in for and what they'll give us and our ability to get the, sort of that discretionary energy Mm -hmm. is because they believe they're doing something that's bigger than whatever their job may be. Whatever they sit, they're contributing to something. And it doesn't always have to be big and lofty. It just has to be purposeful. I don't think there's any arguing that a brand, a strong brand, can attract great talent. And I think that there's, to your point, the mission and its connection to that uh, it really is the, the bigger piece of it. You don't have to be a well-known brand uh, to attract talent, but by having some core consistency and tenants and something you're doing for customers that's uh, important and feels worthwhile is all part of brand building, right? And you can't separate that from the desire to want to work somewhere. I want to thank you all again for joining me tonight for our discussions in digital. This has been such a treat, and I've really enjoyed myself. For our listeners, please tweet us your ideas for our next podcast. Who do you want to hear from, and what do you want to hear about? To learn more about what we're publishing, check out our site, McKinsey on Marketing and Sales. Thanks again.